Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Let us pray. Assist us mercifully with your help, O Lord God of our salvation, that we may enter with joy upon the contemplation of those mighty acts whereby you have given us life and immortality through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. When Jesus and his disciples had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming for you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is he? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, in your tender love for the human race, you sent your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, to take upon him our nature and to suffer death upon the cross, giving us the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of his suffering and also share in his resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from Isaiah. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who, who will declare me guilty? The word of the Lord. We will read Psalms 31, 9 through 16 responsively, whole verse by whole verse. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye is consumed with sorrow and also my throat and my belly. For my life is wasted with grief and my ears with sighing. My strength fails me because of affliction and my bones are consumed. I have become a reproach to all my enemies and even to my neighbors, a dismay to those of my acquaintance. When they see me in the street, they avoid me. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I am as useless as a broken pot. 
For I have heard the whispering of the crowd, fear is all around. They put their heads together against me. They plot to take my life. But as for me, I have trusted in you, O Lord. I have said, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face to shine upon your servant and in your loving kindness save me. A reading from Philippians. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ According to Matthew Then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then He said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was yet speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, At once he came up to Jesus and said, And kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you are here to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly one of those with Jesus put his hand on his sword, drew it, and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do not think that I cannot appeal to my father, 
and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which say it must happen in this way? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me, but all this has taken place, so that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, in whose house the scribes and the elders had gathered. But Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and going inside. He sat with the guards in order to see how this would end. Now the chief priest and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But Jesus was silent. Then the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? He has heard Then they spat in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, You also with Jesus the Galilee. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you were talking about. When he went out to the porch, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man is Jesus of Again he denied it with an oath. I do not know after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are also one of them, for your acts and Then he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know the man. At that moment, the cock crowed. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said, Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus in order to bring about his death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He said, but they said, what is that to us? Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, 
It is not lawful to put them into the treasury since they are blood After conferring together, they used them to buy the potter's field as a place to bury foreigners. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, and they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of the one on whom a price had been set, on whom some of the people of Israel had set a price, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the festival of the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crown, anyone whom they wanted. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas? Jesus, who is called Messiah. For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him. Have nothing to do with that innocent man, for today I have suffered a great deal of the him. Now the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? Barabbas. Then what have I done with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Let him be crucified. Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more. Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, <laughs> So he released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe upon him, and after twisting some thorns into a crowd, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before and mocked him, saying, They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. 
Over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two bandits who were crucified with him, one on his right hand and one on his left, those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, In the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, the bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way from noon on darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon and about three o'clock Jesus cried with a loud voice Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, At once one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what had taken place, they were terrified and said, In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Righteousness, or justice, has been the focus of mine these last few months. You've heard me talk about it in sermons in different ways. I've talked about it in terms of vision or sight, righteousness being a kind of vision or sight. And I've talked about it as the way that God interacts within God's creation, that being the definition of righteousness. Righteousness is about seeing the world in the right way with an alternative reality in view and acting in the world as though that different reality were present. As I read through, as I read through and considered both the gospel reading for the Liturgy of the Palms and the gospel reading for the Passion narrative we've just heard, I considered what these stories had to tell us about justice, about the righteousness of God. As I've said before, justice and righteousness are both appropriate English translations for the same Greek word, and this morning I'm going to be opting for the word justice as I think it fits better with the narrative we're considering on Palm Sunday. In his book, Being Christian, Rowan Williams talks about Jesus' threefold ministry of prophet, priest, and king. He describes Jesus' royal ministry, his kingly ministry, as one that enacts justice in the world. That is what it means in ancient Israel to be king, to be an arbiter of justice. 
On Palm Sunday, I believe we see Jesus taking up this royal ministry and revealing the contrasting justices of his kingdom and the kingdoms of the world. So we need to be clear that the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and the Passion narrative are deeply political stories. Jesus' procession into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey is a kind of parody of royal and military processions into the city following a political or military victory. We get glimpses of this in the stories about the Maccabees in the books we call the Apocrypha and their political enemies. But we also see this in the story of Solomon when he is crowned king after his father David. He rides on the back of a donkey up to the temple to be crowned king just as Jesus rides into Jerusalem and proceeds to the temple. Finally, the obvious reference that is invoked in this story is from the prophet Zechariah, whom Matthew quotes, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem! See, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It is no coincidence that Jesus is crucified between two insurrectionists and The bandit who is released in his stead, Barabbas, is also considered a political insurrectionist. Crucifixion was a heinous punishment reserved for those who disturbed the peace of Rome, and Jesus seems to have fit that shoe. There is nothing subtle about Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, both in its spectacle and in its symbolism. References to David, his similarities to Solomon, the explicit quotation from Zechariah, and the cultural parallels of military and political processions for kings and conquerors all point to a particular kind of statement Jesus is making as he enters the holy city. But it must also be said that he enters differently. He does not enter as a conqueror, nor does he enter in the splendor of Solomon. Rather, he enters just as Zechariah prophesies, humble, and riding on a donkey. Even at his entrance, he begins to enact a different kind of justice, one that does not require the might of a conqueror or the wealth of a king. He is vulnerable and lacking any hint of violence. Between his entry and eventual arrest, Jesus is engaged in a number of controversial situations and teachings that precipitate in the conspiracies against him. So as much as we like to talk about Jesus being innocent, and we can certainly hold to that, it cannot be said that he behaved himself. He causes quite a scene in the temple, and he says some less than patriotic things about paying taxes. He draws the wrong kind of attention and is met with the arrest and trial we hear about in our passion narrative this morning. So I began with the idea of justice because as I read through this story, As I read through it this week, I could not help but think that Jesus is subject to our attempt at justice, and we get a clear picture of that as we as the congregation participate in this story. Consider what is our role in this story as we participated in it. That is to say, he is put under trial, Jesus is put under trial by both the religious authorities and the imperial authorities, both of which had significant and substantial political power. He is essentially subject to a kind of justice system, and I should say a legitimate one at that. And we watch as God in the flesh is put on trial and subject to the judgment of the world, the enfranchised judgment of the world. 
The passion of Jesus reveals then the injustice of our justice, and therefore the need for a true justice to be given. In his crucifixion, Jesus shows us that even legitimate and sanctioned means of carrying out justice in our world produce every kind of heinous injustice, indeed the worst kind. At the very least, it ought to instill in us the deepest sense of humility when we consider our own laws and systems of justice, knowing and confessing their destructive potential. Put simply, the crucifixion of Jesus reveals to us our absolute failure to understand justice. It was not until seminary that I'd been given the opportunity to consider alternative forms of justice. I do not claim to have any kind of solution to the problem, but the possibilities were open to me when I had the opportunity to take a class called restorative justice. And the idea might be familiar to some of you. And so some of you may be familiar with these practices, but they begin with the fundamental assumption that justice is a matter of relationships. Restorative justice then, which is sort of official practice, Restorative justice differentiates between punishment and consequence. It understands that the consequence of theft, for example, is the direct result of the crime. I steal from you. The consequence is the broken trust between us, the fear you now carry regarding your security, the fear your neighbors now have regarding their own security, and so on. So our current system deals in retributive or punitive justice, where a crime is punished without any attempt to address the relational consequences. And indeed, people are usually separated from one another. Perpetrator and victim are usually separate and, and, and intentionally so. Restorative justice, on the other hand, says that the only way to bring justice is to address the consequences head on. It does this through a number of practices that involve mediation and direct confrontation between perpetrator and victim in a controlled setting. That is, the victim in these practices is able to face the perpetrator and describe the consequences of their crime. Not only the victim, but also all those who are indirectly affected, family, friends, and neighbors of both the perpetrator and the victim. And so by engaging in this communal and direct confrontation, the actual consequences of an action are addressed, and the network of relationships that has been disrupted or even broken because of harmful action has now been given the possibility of reparation. So in the example of theft that I gave, you would have the thief, you would have the victim of the theft, and then you would have all of the neighbors, family, and friends of both the thief and the victim in a room describing to this person what that action has done to them emotionally and materially. It's not perfect, but it at least creates the possibility of reparation. Restorative justice came to mind because it seems to assume that justice is about the building and repair of relationships through self-offering, painful honesty, and vulnerability. It also seems to assume that the voice of the victims must be centralized and empowered in order for such restoration to take place. The victims must be able to present themselves honestly with the full weight of their pain and brokenness laid bare before the person or people who caused the injustice. Only then is the consequence truly faced. So I cannot help but see this kind of vulnerability and honesty even in the crucifixion. And as we carry out our injustice in this story, the pain and brokenness of the victim 
is laid bare before us. And as the centurion finally recognizes Jesus as the Son of God, we are made to realize the true cost of our injustices, the death of the Son of God. In the week ahead, we retell the story of Jesus' final days and all the ways in which the justice of God is done in his honesty and vulnerability with the disciples. In these stories, Jesus will give himself to them again and again as friend, servant, bread, wine, body, and blood. And he will do all of these things for the sake, for the sake of establishing communion among them and with God, a relationship forged in truth, vulnerability, and mutual self-offering. In his crucifixion, the justice of God tears through our injustice as the story of the victim reveals both the consequence of our punitive injustice and, miraculously, God's desire to repair the relationship and restore communion. It is the same communion we share each week, as Christ the victim continues to give himself to us in order to safeguard our communion. Here, justice is done because the vulnerability of God at this table draws us together and creates the possibility of reparation. From this table, God speaks truthfully to us of our injustices and of God's endless desire to restore and nurture our communion. Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. God of all mercy, we pray for the church throughout the world, and especially for Justin, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Michael, our presiding bishop, Brian, our bishop, Johnny, our rector, Chris, and Gordon, our deacons, in our diocese for St. Thomas Elizabethton, St. John's, Johnson City, in our companion diocese of South Dakota, Grace, Madison, Christ, Yanktown, we pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons that our faithfulness might not be limited to acts of piety, but be manifest in lives of peace, charity, and compassion for the welfare of the poor, the stranger, the outcast, and the hurting. Lord of all, we pray especially for the peoples of Ukraine and Russia and for all those under threat of war. Bring mercy and peace where violence and hostility are imminent and lead us beyond hatred and nationalism toward a responsibility for one another as global neighbors. We pray also for all who hold public office and positions of authority, remembering especially Joseph, our president, the Congress of the United States, our courts of justice, and all who carry the burden and temptation of leadership. Grant them a spirit of humility, compassion, and peace that they might repent of the violence and greed that consumes us and bring us all more closely to the abundance of your peaceable kingdom. Most Holy Creator, all that you have made speaks of your goodness, and you have made us caretakers of that goodness. Give us the eyes to see with broken and contrite hearts the ways in which we have squandered your gift. Set us free from the habits of waste and misuse we have cultivated over generations and fill us with the spirit of gentleness that everything we touch might know your embrace. You are the God who has come, has come among us. We pray for our city of Kingsport 
remembering especially Pat and Richard, our mayors, our city and county school systems, our teachers, social workers, and all who serve the poor and homeless in our city, reveal yourself among us and our neighbors and open our doors to welcome them as Christ. Loving God, we hold before you those whom we love and are in need of your care, especially Sister, Becky, Carolyn, Stephanie and family, Bill, Tony, Louisa, Catherine, Randy, Marianna, Martha, Mike, Allison DeWitt, Doreen, Beth, Myra, Rick, Jay, John, Kim, Deanna, Jackson, Jonathan, Patricia, Jonathan, Van, Sarah Beth, Jason, Dot, Gary, Phyllis, Kim, Diane, Larry, Alice, Matt, Richard, Ann and Larry, Donna, gather them under the shadow of your wing and grant them wholeness and peace. God of rest and giver of life, we remember before you those who have died. Grant them a place of rest in your household until the last day when they are raised with us to abundant life. O Lord our God, accept the fervent prayers of your people and the multitude of your mercies. Look with compassion upon us and all who turn to you for help. For you are gracious, O lover of souls, and to you we give glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Friends, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and abide with you always. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.